0: Love Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Podcast. My name is Steve. I'm your host. My co-host is Kyle. Say hello, Kyle.
1: Greetings and salutations from Parts Unknown.
0: Yes, the infamous Parts Unknown. And thank you for joining us. If you're joining us live, listening to us on our brand new night, we're now Monday nights at 8:30. Instead of Tuesday nights at 9:30, night, and if you listen and to more entertaining, oh. yeah. Uh, so
1: again, Tom? more entertaining than Monday Night Raw.
0: Yes, so, which I'm kind of watching right now, but I'm just watching like the early recording of it. Oh, okay. So they're finally re- really doing re- re- retributions, whatever. Horrible um, know. Anyway. Um, anyway, like I was saying. Um, if you listen to the show, World podcast, especially when I did on Sunday or Saturday, rather, this past Saturday, you would know why we moved. It, um, it works out better for Kyle and myself. And so we're not ending up like zombies by the middle of the week. Um, now if anybody would like to contact us, please send us an email at podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. On Twitter at Booking Chair, You can find us on iHeartRadio, on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, and beginning this week, you can now find us on Spotify. I'm so happy about that, Kyle.
1: Uh, um, are there any podcast options that you have not got a, the podcast on yet?
0: There are a few that aren't as big, but I'd like to get them on there as well. I don't want to leave any options open because some people they prefer uh, the small ones, or sometimes that may be their only option for whatever reason. So, you know, we don't, we don't want to leave anyone out. We want to include everybody. We're very inclusive here. And so, our topic this week, I'm looking at the top ten gimmick matches. In our case, the specific matches, not necessarily the types. Maybe you could hit that in the later date. But tonight, we very, very specific matches between two people, four people, eight people, ten people. You know, those kind of matches.
1: I thought a gimmick was a special attraction to get someone in a seat.
0: Yes, we actually, it's not that we disagreed.
1: It's just we had not
0: quite the same definition. But it does make the list a lot more interesting. So,
1: I say we it. And we did agree in some spots.
0: We did, absolutely agreed. Because some of them, in, in, any wrestling fan who's been a wrestling fan for a while, Or any that have done their research. Talking to you, co worker, you know who you are. You would know, or you should know, these are some just absolute classic matches. So, and to start this one off, we'll start at number 10. And actually, let me explain our grading system for those who may be new. Kyle and I, and anybody else, if they want to actually give us some submissions as well, we pass a list of 20. Um, names or matches In this case to each other And Then we rank them. we give them a point system uh, Number one Is worth 20 points Number two is 19, number three is 18 So on and so forth And then we take those And whichever uh, Match in this case has the most points Would be number one And then the second one would be number two And there will be a case where uh, One of us will actually have a match rent pretty high that the other one didn't have in their list at all, but it still makes the top ten because they thought pretty highly. Of so that is how we rank, and this is a, a newer force force um, because we actually have two number tens, but before we actually start with number ten, we are going to go ahead and take a commercial break. And we are back. So, Kyle, um, I will go ahead and name the first number ten, which you had a tie. This was actually one that you had on your list, but I didn't end up have on mine at all because this was a this week was one one of the hardest top tens or top twenties I've ever done. I think you mentioned to me the same in your text messages. You sent to me. It was pretty difficult just to even narrow down to twenty. Um, I was
1: having a
0: hard. Yeah, it was well oh, ridiculously hard because there's so many good ones. This one I almost had on my twenty. But this is the War Games match, Wrestle War 1991. The Four Horsemen against Sting, Steiner Brothers, and Brian Hillman. And the one thing I remember this match, and we talked about this before the podcast started, was this was the one where Sid Vicious powerbombed Brian Hillman that about- broke his neck.
1: Well,. The the story of this match, obviously, the the Horsemen had reformed, in an interesting group because you had um, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious in the, um, and there might have been another one in in the group at the time. They obviously had reformed, and this was going to be the program where Barry Windham fought Sting, Ric Flair fought Sting, did Vicious fought Sting at Halloween Havoc that year, and Sting's buddies formed Stinger Squadron. And Brian Pillman gets injured before the war game starts and injures his shoulder. And they're doing the coin toss and trying to pick the order of when everyone's going to fight. And I remember this the most because Brian Pillman snuck in and started the match off for the Stinger Squadron. Took a beating. That man could take a beating. And this is pre-accident. This is Cincinnati Bengal Brian Pillman. Yeah, I mean, he
0: was he was double tough. There's no doubt about it. And I'm looking at the lineup. We're missing um, – it was actually Larry Zabesco who I guess sucked for Arn Anderson. Because Arn was there. He was accompanying them. But uh, Zabesco
1: was actually part of the match instead of on So um, that was the fifth. In that match, uh, Pillman, of course, they managed to beat on him one at a time until. All four come into the ring, and for some reason, he lights up with Sid Vicious, and Sid Vicious bounced him off the top of the cage, power bombed him to the bottom twice, and that was the finish of the match.
0: Which makes it a rare war games match where the heel team won
1: rather than the babyface team. And that's why it was memorable on my side. And I can see that because, um,
0: it, it, even though we both discussed how we had different criteria for how we selected, it sounds like it may have been still similar. I so, thought, yeah, this was a one that kind of stood out, uh, like you said, because it was the heels.
1: Any more on that one?
0: Uh, no. Um, I'm good because we have a little bit more than usual, so we want to go ahead and talk about the next one, which we had we
1: both had on our list. Tying for number ten is the original War Games, with the Legion of Doom, Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff, versus the Four Horsemen, which were Flair, O'Anderson, Tully Blanchard and Barry Windham.
0: And in this case, uh, I just, when I'm up to that is LOD, Paul Ellering was also involved, as was J.J. J. Dillon.
1: Oh, that's right. Paul Ellering and J.J. J. Dillon, because this match, um, this is the match that LOD did the flying clothesline in the cage and broke J.J. J. Dillon's collarbone. Yes. So when you hey, think of yeah. work, it, it's, It was designed to trap the horsemen.
0: And it trapped him. And so bad that J.J. got hurt. And when they did these matches, and I couldn't imagine them doing this now, they did these matches, like they said, around the horn on the house show. So they were doing these almost every night. But this was the very first one.
1: During the great american bash tour of eighty seven they did um it was like seventeen war games in in a month so imagine how many war games events were not filmed oh i know and that's public it's just wild and and that that's the fascinating thing there.
0: But, yeah, I remember, um, I don't remember which documentary it was, if it was on The Horseman or if it was, it probably was about The Horseman, uh, the same one um, that uh, the other war games were. Uh, Sid Vicious uh, tried to kill Brian Hellman. But Dusty, when he came up with this, he actually said, people are going to die tonight because all the, the potential, the potential, uh, a catastrophe that could have happened, you know. And people actually did get hurt. I mean, JJ generally had his uh shoulder separated. But I'm filming, I mean, he legitimately hurt his neck pretty bad after what Sid did to him. And some of the other war games, I mean, people were getting legitimately hurt as well. But it's it can't really go anywhere. And that roof is over the cage is only about what seven foot high, eight foot. Yeah, maybe? I-
1: it was a true cage, unlike what they did in NXT recently. And that's why I couldn't put the more recent war games on my list. I couldn't
0: either. Same reason, because to me, it just seems like they're trying to bring back an old idea that they're not completely um, committed to.
1: They want to make it their own.
0: Right. Exactly. Vince hasn't been known to that. He's been known to ruin some gimmick matches. Um,
1: the and, and, roles. and to me, the N.S.P. version is more of a spot fest than a fight. Right.
0: Yeah, so, so, that's both of our number 10s. And here's some irony for you. We had two number 8s as well. So we have no number 9. So, but we had two 8s and two 10s. So the first number 8 this is Ric Flair. It's Terry Funk. The I Quit match, Clash of Champions, Clash of His Nine in 1989.
1: And I'm I'm truly shocked, knowing what a fan you were of that <laughs> that Mid Atlantic area in that particular time period, that this did not appear on your list at all.
0: It was hard. I mean, it, it was. It was on the longer list, um, and yeah, I'm a fan of WCW, and I have our old Mid Atlantic, I should say, and I had to keep that in consideration. I mean, I wasn't having my own personal biases affecting my list, you know. Um, and so I was looking at it, like, okay, was it better than this match? Was it better than that? Uh, you know, um, and some of my, I know at least one of my other ones that did not make um, the, the top, our top ten. Uh, and I won't mention it because it didn't make the top ten, but I know it was one that, from a, a territory we've never even talked about in the past. Um, but, I mean, it was a vicious match, and it was brutal, and that's actually why I put it on there, because of uh, how good it was. And I knew that one with Harry Funk and Flair, I, now that one, I mean, has become a classic match, no doubt.
1: Um, I, I remember I would have been ten years old watching this on TBS. And if I remember correctly, on a Wednesday night is when they used to do these clashes. And one, the brutality, because Ric Flair matches were usually performances, not um, not vicious. But the deal was, if Ric Flair... Could get Terry Funk to say, I quit. Terry Funk would say he was a better man. And Funk had destroyed him, pile drove him on the table. Really unique stuff for 1989
0: in WCW. Yes, the precursor to the hardcore wrestling um, that was later prevalent in WCW, where Terry Funk was a. Uh,
1: one of the main guys and actually help bring in publicity of the matches. You can say Terry Funk became a gimmick match wrestler, either in ECW with the triple threats where he won the title on pay-per-view or the death matches with Mick Foley and others in Japan. Uh, This is my absolute favorite Terry Funk gimmick match. And I, just remember hearing, "I quit, I quit." Ric Flair, you're the better man. <laughs> and my ten year old mind, like I thought, every bit of that was real. And
0: I'll tell you what. Yeah, you know, speaking of uh, Terry Funk and McFoley, like the death matches in Japan, I can tell you the reason why I didn't have any of the death matches in Japan on my list is because I personally haven't watched them. I've already read about them. Um, and so I can't really honestly judge them against any of the other matches. Um, all the matches that I have on here that I put on my list, I'm pretty sure you're the same way I have actually watched. And that's why
1: you know I rank them the way I. Did. Uh, I'm not a death match guy.
0: I uh, am I'm... to a point, but not those those to me go a little too far. You know, because when Nick Foley's flying on a plane going home smelling like barbecue, where a woman's sitting by in the first class decides to move to coach, and if you read his book, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, that that to me it's like uh somebody might actually die Your one of their actions.
1: you bust me over the head with a fluorescent light bulb. I'm sorry I'm not getting up. That that's where some of the weapons, like Triple H hits you with the sledgehammer, it should only ha- take once, twice right. if he.
0: <laughs> the ironic thing is, um, if he's going to hit him with the head for real instead of having like his hand in the way, you know, where it kind of pushes it.
1: They actually use like a plastic sledgehammer. It looks real. Speaking but, of sledgehammers, yeah. I would like. Take a sledgehammer to the Retribution storyline currently playing on Monday Night Raw right now?
0: Uh, are you live or are you going it? I'm fast looking promotion. I the, am, uh, right now I am on, uh, let's see, I see Buddy Murphy and Brody, Seth Rollins. See, okay, I'm all these people. And um, Dominic. Okay,
1: you you, just, you know the match. So anyway, you're back you to understand? A, a very classic I quit match in nineteen eighty nine to a match I absolutely despise. You despise the next match? I I hate this match and I'm gonna tell you why in a second. So okay. tying for number eight is the second number eight. The second number eight is Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels in the Iron Man match from WrestleMania 12. How could you hate this match? You're telling me in 60 minutes that these two couldn't pin each other one time and let their egos go for one time. They I, go think,
0: and uh, I don't they, know whose idea wasn't for them to go uh, the more or less broad way with the overtime
1: went an entire hour without pinning each other because neither one would lay down for the other. You think that's what it was?
0: I mean, I know they had
1: some ego issues. And then, Bret Hart's going to finish the match and he's got Shawn Michaels in the sharpshooter and they he lets him go because it's a draw. Has to let him out of the sharpshooter and then they decide to do overtime and he gets kick twice and the match is over uh, and Shawn Michaels won his first championship the result is fine the actual execution of the match like you couldn't have any falls have you seen an Iron Man match since it doesn't go 2-2 3-2 where they yeah. have multiple
0: yeah that, that actually gets kind of the utter set of ridiculous where okay we're having a fifteen minute Iron Man match and they have seven falls. Well in the meantime they have like a regular match, you know, nobody pins each other in like ten minutes. But they throw the falls in there for the um, for the sake of it being an Iron Man, you know, so many falls against so many falls.
1: So it, it was just six in sixty minutes with no falls, it was just a long match.
0: But with those two doing it, it was still a very good match. And I don't know if you noticed this, because I didn't notice until we were actually went up this list. This is the first match that we're mentioning on our list that did not have Rick Flair involved. Right? But. But it's now, not
1: going to be. <laughs> we're going to see Sean a lot here, too.
0: Yes, yeah, so we're going to see Sean a lot. We're going to see Rick a lot. Uh, because, I mean, they are. You know it. Um, now, the next match didn't have Flair either. Um, but this is a very good match. And this is one where we kind of disagreed a little bit about whether or not it was a gimmick. But I you know, figured, you know what? Let's go with it. The Undertaker versus Shawn retirement match, WrestleMania
1: 26. In this discussion, to expand on it, our disagreement is whether a gimmick and a stipulation mean the same thing. Right. Where I was saying that um,
0: this to me was more of a stipulation match, to where the winner or loser of the match had to do something. In this case,
1: Sean had to retire. Of course, we knew where, how it was going to turn out. Whereas I, I see it as a gimmick because. Shawn Michaels didn't say retires.
0: Um, Well, he didn't come back for a while.
1: Right, but he still came back.
0: Well, then I guess so did Terry Clon.
1: Why? Or others, but... a gimmick and a stipulate that goes back to WWE not following on their stipulations. Right.
0: Now but, this match was very very good. Uh, although I will say the match they had the year before, I think I would actually like better. But it wasn't. It wasn't a gimmick or a stipulation. It was just, hey, let's get fight. Right. You no. Know, um. But this one was this one where Undertaker though he. Um. He kind of yelled
1: at Shawn to stay down. He did. Yeah. But Shawn Michaels crawled up, slapped him in the face. then did. He did, did the throat slashing. Yeah. I mean that. That's just how good he was at that point in time. The the emotions of the match, the gimmick or stipulation. Nobody. Nobody wanted Shawn Michaels to retire.
0: I think, I think Shawn wanted Shawn to retire. again. Yeah.
1: Actually, you know what, yeah, this was like his
0: third retirement. You know, because the first time was when he lost his smile. In other words, he didn't want to lay down for anybody to lose a title. Bret Hart. Yep. Uh, the second time was when uh, he, had, he had the legitimate back injury where he had some of his vertebrae were basically crushed. And he did the job to Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14, and thanks to the the allegedly, even though some people have actually confirmed this had happened, the alleged um, influence of the Undertaker and, or encouragement from the Undertaker with his take this backstage. Right. Uh, uh, and then this one.
1: But I, uh, I mean, a tremendous, a, a really good match, WrestleMania quality main event. Um, really, it it was the selling point for WrestleMania. And a rematch at that.
0: Oh, and off the top of your head, where was this WrestleMania held? Twenty six.
1: Um, Texas. Was it? Was uh, this one Dallas?
0: No, Dallas was. Thirty-two. Um, you know, Wikipedia. 26. Phoenix. Or Glendale, Arizona. Which I had, I, had a car- feel, I had a feeling that might be it because Sean was actually born there. Because you know his
1: dad was a Fulberg Colonel in the Air Force. Right. All right. So we're already to number six.
0: We are, and this was one that you had on your list, and I almost had it on my list. Now, like I said, folks, this one was this was not an easy
1: list to make. And this this too is shocking because this match is like folklore in wrestling history created the Flair, not the Flair, but the Von Erich-Freebird rivalry. And this was Ric Flair and Von Erich in December of 1982 in a cage match.
0: Now, ironically enough, that was actually what knocked it further down on my list because the outcome of the match and its influence um, on later wrestling had more to do with, some people who weren't even involved in the, well, weren't supposed to be involved in the match, because the match was Flair and Kerry. Um But it, it, My, kicked, it kicked off the referee. Exactly. But it, it kicked off the feud. You know, so it almost seemed like the match was just the catalyst for kicking off this feud, which really made Texas wrestling, or at least world-class wrestling, you know, at the forefront at the time. Because, I mean, that feud was just so white hot. So we so, am
1: talking about I saw the story, the storytelling, when I finally watched this match for the first time, where Kerry could have beat it, beat Flair multiple times, at, with help from Michael Hayes, and just kept turning it down.
0: Right, because Von the Erichs, they were uh, goody. Yeah, I was goody. Say, they were, they were kind of like how Paul Cogan was supposed to. Um, being portrayed trying to paint the image.
1: image, um, some people would say they they were white bread.
0: Yes, very much so. Because even their promos, I remember seeing one with David Von Erich, um, or is it David or Kevin, that said the differences between us and you, talking about the Von Erickson and the Freebirds, he said there's a difference between decency and film. Right. You know, so that I mean that does sound very you know, like you said, white bread. Very tame, you know, if you weren't like talk real smack about somebody, you know, you wouldn't be that tame about it. But um but Flair, you know, once again this is the fourth match he's in. Um he didn't carry, I mean they always had some good matches. Um and of course later on, you know, it was two years later, well about a year and a half later, after David died, and they had the Dave on Eric Memorial, um, uh, the great champions, Texas as with carry Peek there, which was another just great match. But, you know, but yeah, I mean, I could see, I could definitely see why you would have this on a list like this. Uh, but, I mean, I also had my reason why I ranked it lower and then up falling off my list. Now, see, that was number six. So before we move to number five, I am going to go ahead and take another commercial break. And we are back. And hopefully later on when I go and serve on the commercials, we won't have the software issues we were having last week. And if anybody heard <laughs> the show last week, I apologize once more. Kyle and I, we have no idea how we got disconnected, but we were still talking to each other. But unfortunately, the site that we go through at disconnected us, and I didn't know for about 10 minutes. So y'all totally missed us talking about Randy Orton and Seth Rollins. But that's okay. We'll moving on All right. Now, uh, and before I, I actually talk about number five, I will say the last five on our list, you know, so numbers one through five, both of us actually had on them. So this is why we know these are just absolutely great matches and everybody agrees. Well, when I say everybody, I mean both of us.
1: The two that matter. Huh? The two that matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, people need to understand that. um, So this one, and how you didn't have this one rank higher is beyond me. It's the tables, ladders, and chairs match. WrestleMania X7. Or 17 or 2001, that had Edge and Christian versus the Hardys versus the Duddies for the WWE, it was still half at the time, tag team champions. And all I got to say, this match, it was just non-stop in the world, go. And I can watch this match now. Um, and actually, the reason I'm watching that, just, I watched it with some members of my family. Um, just to show the Hardy boys because they're from the same area of, of North Carolina that I'm from, and is you know so they thought it was kind of amazing these two boys that are from that area have gone to be as big as what they are. But you know from Jeff jumping off that you know doing the swan time off that ladder, uh, getting speared by Edge, you know how they. How all of them walked away from this match to be
1: honest. What did they? Uh, it is the it big did. question. Is both parties got into substance abuse? Edge and Christian's career got shortened.
0: Well, we're talking about the here and well, the here and now then of the match.
1: And, but did did it create the standard of spot, spot fest It is now expected of these type of matches? Um, possibly.
0: Um, and it may have actually set some expectations that only, you know, or almost only the Hardys or Edge and Christian could pull off. Who won the really, really super high-flying spot like they did was really not a Dudley Boys thing. I mean, they they had their own spots. Um, and I certainly don't want to exclude them from this at all because, I mean, they, yeah they were part of this, too, and they certainly made it exciting, too. <laughs> you know, they, uh, oh, they yeah. Were great. Um, and oddly enough, one of my favorite parts didn't even involve anybody that was actually supposed to be in the match, but it was when lead-up, When she came in, and as she did her Hurricane Rana, crap, we should do the Hurricane Rana too. Help me out here. I'll have to watch it again. Um, But because Lita, her Hurricane Rana, and I'll let you call hers a Hurricane Rana, not a Frankenstein, because the way she did it, um, because she kind of had a twist to it, whereas the Frankenstein, is straight back, um, right. Right. But her Hurricane Rana and her Moon was another one that when it moves, just the thing of beauty. But
1: and there, there's another one that had a neck surgery. Yes, she did. See, uh, as far as T- TLC matches go, I'm a bigger fan of TLC number two.
0: One at SummerSlam, of... the
1: one at SummerSlam 2000,
0: 2000 right?
1: It, yeah. it was the match
0: because I think this, yet yeah, Well, this was this, this was number three. The first one was at the WrestleMania uh, 2000, which I don't think they were calling it a TLC match. I just, they know it was it, a, a
1: ladder, a ladder.
0: Um, but of course, the Dudlings had tables. Edge and Christian had the chairs. And, of course, the Dudley Boys have been kind of known now for the ladders. Um, and it, this was like the- this, it's a very, very fun match to watch. But, but since we're talking about ladders, I'm going to go ahead and move us on to our number
1: number four. Where number- you want to you go ahead and bring it up here, Kyle? Four is a uh, WWE history. It's considered the first ladder match, but it really isn't. It really isn't the right it was but it was the first WrestleMania ladder match and the first one really Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 10. And this, this story. It is higher because Shawn Michaels was suspended as intercontinental champion and it was because of an alleged failed drug test. Um, so they Oh was they this sh-
0: also when he got the beat down for the Marines up in Syracuse?
1: No, this was the drug test one. This is the drug test? Okay. So they do a tournament, Razor Ramon wins, becomes the Intercontinental Champion, beating Rick Martel. And then when Sean comes off his 90-day suspension, I'm the real Intercontinental Champion, and he's coming in with his belt. Razor Ramon has his own belt, so their solution is, we're going to put two belts above the ring, and you're going to climb a ladder. And whoever pulls both down, is the new champion.
0: Wow. This sounds like a, a storyline they might be able to use sometime in the future. What do you think, Kyle?
1: No, they'll mess it up.
0: <laughs> because they're not using it at the next pay-per-view? Almost uh, to it, the T? Except for it's a triple threat.
1: They're, they're going to mess it up.
0: Oh, for sure. But so. I it's the same premise, though, of uh, you know, we have one person who is the Intercontinental Champion, another guy is claiming he's still the Intercontinental Champion because nobody beat him, and then, you know, they can just throw AJ in there and say, well, I'm the real champion. I still get that. Um, but, AJ always makes it, uh, a match better anyway, so I really don't mind. And I think it, on paper, it should be a good match. I don't like the way they do triple prefer matches, but this one may be okay because it's a the ladder match. Um, but I don't like the way they do triple threats anything, especially the titles, because it allows somebody to lose their title without actually getting pinned. So we discussed this on the last episode, which a lot of people have heard. But, um, anyway, the,
1: the ladder match, Razor and Sean, different ways they found to use the ladder as a weapon. Yes. And, and each... Each move set was custom, so Razor had the power moves with the ladder. Sean had the aerial moves with with the ladder. Uh, so it it fit their character. I remember the first time
0: I watched this match, and this was when I was uh, stationed in Japan, and so I had to wait for it to come out on video and rent it. Um, and I think I rented that thing so many times. I mean, I had to warn it out. Um, but my roommate at the time and I and some other people, you know, we were watching and we had never you know, seen it before. And we were just absolutely uh, amazed by all the action, you know, and what they could do with the ladder and, you know, Sean doing the splash off of the ladder. He actually did an elbow drop too that they barely caught on camera because it was like right after Razor pulled Sean's trunks down. And, right. You know, of the world you know is you nowhere in um but him doing that splash um and then it was it, it was real to me and it was very very real and the way it ended with sean getting split caught in the ropes and then trying to get out of it and getting his hand caught um and then we find out later on that they were actually supposed to end the match like 10 minutes before they did. And Randy Savage wanted to beat them both up, when they got my
1: stage
0: because they it cost, it cost some other people, like 10 people, their WrestleMania moment. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people will actually say, well, this match also was not as good as their ladder match at SummerSlam in 95. And I've always preferred this one because the war for the SummerSlam – you know, to me, I'd always feel like it was forced because by that point, they were both faces. It's right. like, well, we, we did this great match. Okay, let's do it again. But then it was during the, the, the stuff with the Athletic Commission, and they said they could not use the ladder as a weapon. And now they could throw themselves, each other, into it, but they actually couldn't hit each other with it. And Sean did the moonsault off the ladder, which was kind of cool.
1: But to me, that match... Did not compare to this one. So I favored this one, obviously. Right. Because, because it was new in the backstory, story. And, and that's the thing about wrestling for me that is missing now. Where's the story? Why? Well, I'm the champion because you didn't beat me. True. Now, they take Sami Zayn, they basically make him a whining little um, baby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Family friendly, Kyle. Family friendly.
1: And I don't like that guy. I don't want to see him get involved in the title match. Come on now. Whereas the way they did it with Shawn, I'm the rightful champion. It, it, it's it's just different. Like they're gonna mess mess this up. Currently,
0: well, it has potential to be good, but you're right. It also has the potential to have some serious mess ups, and they could actually have somebody get injured. Kind of like our number three, and this one. Even non-wrestling fans know about this one. they had seen some of the footage of it makes them just lose their breath and gasp. Like, oh, my God, did he just die? And this is the Hell yeah. in a Cell match in the ring in 1998 between Mankind and The Undertaker. And, you know, I don't even remember what the backstory was for this match. It almost seemed like well, Undertaker and Foley, or Undertaker and Mankind in this case, they always put on great matches together. So let's get them in a real quick story to where they're against each other and put them in the cell in a cell thing. And probably Mick says he wants to do a somersault off the top of the cage, and he did. And I think if the match would have ended right there, I don't think anybody would have complained.
1: The, the match, uh, I, this is the first match I watched in the dorms. So you had just gotten, gotten there? So I had just gotten to a base. Oh, you weren't at my base yet. You were at baseball. I back. was at, I had just gotten to your base. Had you? Okay. And I had uh, two broken ribs and watched this in the day room with a um, perfectly legal cable box for those who might be still listening. But this is when everyone would watch wrestling combined. And he uh, what he put him his body through For, for this match, getting thrown off the top of the cage. On purpose. On purpose.
0: He's like, yeah, you see that table? Yeah, throw me on that table. <laughs> you know? It's like, do what?
1: Okay. So he. um Then getting up after that, not breaking in half. And. Climbing the cage again, and getting thrown through, which was not on purpose. Probably on accident.
0: Yeah, well, Nick talks about it, Undertaker talks about it, and if you watch the footage, Taker couldn't get Nick all the way up. So Nick had one foot that's still on the top of the cage. I don't know if it's like the angle or maybe the cage, but he actually couldn't get Nick all the way up, so he just kind of pushed him back. You know, that was, it was going to be a weak, very weak choke slam. But Mick, you know, when he came back, that's when the roof of the, the cage collapsed. At least that one section collapsed. And he went through and he landed flat on his back. And Taker and, and Mick Foley have both actually talked about that. They said if Taker would have gotten him up for a normal choke slam because of the way his body rotated through that, and they didn't know that the, the section was going to fall like that. The neck actually would have twit, would have rotated more, and probably came down straight on his head, which would have been absolutely uh, catastrophic. And oh I mean, yeah, yeah. Because so, I mean, he would have came down straight on his head, and yeah. You know, so they said that so that was actually you know um, you know I guess good fortune, a mixed part that he didn't rotate all the way, but. To me, this match was separated into four sections. The first part, where mixed on top of the cage. Undertaker climbs up with a broken foot or broken leg or something like that. That wasn't really talked about too much, but they talked about it since. And then he gets thrown at the cage. They get him out. They're taking him out. Oh, boom, he's coming back with a separated shoulder, climbs back on top of the cage, and gets, you know, falls through the roof. Boom. They raise the cage. Um... Technicians come in there because the one dude with the ponytail—I guess he was like their one of their, um, their doctors—and yeah. and you know they're checking on Nick. I mean, legitimately. And Vince McMahon—he's come by now. He's come down there because he's got legitimate concern. And then Terry Funk comes in there. And Undertaker chucks slams him out of his shoes, and they start the match. And then they actually start the match. <laughs> the bell did not even ring yet. Right. And. You know, and, and Taker, you know, hits him, and he just kind of crumples. But then they show him in the corner. That's when you see the tooth in his nose, which is an iconic shot. And, you know, then after that, they actually kind of, you know, the man kind of actually gets a little bit of offense in, and he pulls up the thumbtacks, which that's thing. If I was a wrestler, they said, okay, we want you get to get on thumbtacks. Nope, I'm out. I'd be done. I'm not getting – no. And then Taker apparently gets a mixed gear and says – Go home and tell him, we're going to end the match right now because he knew Mick needed to take tombstone, one, two, three, boom, done. And as they were getting Nick on the stretcher, he says, wasn't I already on the stretcher tonight?" night? Because he couldn't remember because he was that concussed. And they said, yeah, he said, well, I don't want to be on a stretcher twice in one night. And the man walked out. So because this match is so iconic, that's why it's so high on my list. And I'm going to guess you feel the same.
1: It's iconic. It's iconic for the brutality. Yes. The this hell in the cell. I mean, after this, it was Rikishi that fell off the cage into the pile of hay. Yep. But well, it's, it's,
0: speaking of Brogue, though, because I'm just not looking at the time. I'm shutting right on time. The next match, another oh. cage match. Yes,
1: very. Very brutal. I mean, somebody almost lost some an eye. Very, very brutal, but it was an I Quit match in a cage, and this is Magnum T A versus Tully Blanchard in an I Quit match at Starcade '85. Yep, for the U S. title. For the U S. title, and just wow, this this was the one the the feud that made Magnum the future star. It could be argued that,
0: yeah. That and, and Nikita Koloff one of before that. Well, no, Nikita was after this. That's right. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're right. This is the one that really, really made it. Um, but did
1: the one that ended the feud and brutal, bloody match. It was on the WWF uh, Most Brutal Cage Match DVD. With was it a ring post or a railroad spike?
0: It was, if you're talking about what um, Magnum used, it, he almost <clears throat> took out Tully's eye. It yeah. was part of a wooden chair, actually. Um, Tully had kicked Tommy Young. I'm to appreciate Tommy Young's referee because he was always a referee. But he kicked Tommy Young. Of course, it's a notice qualification match. And baby doll, Nicole Roberts, she threw the wooden chair over the top of the cage. Totally got it. Broke off uh, one of the arms. It had you know this part. It looks it, it looks like a spike, but I mean really, I mean it, and it could probably legitimately hurt somebody. But he tried to first jam it into Magnum's eye. And I, I mean and it was like right there. You're like oh, you're, oh you know I mean you're you're thinking that you're going to see more of an eyeball than what Rey Mysterio put out with a little Pokemon. Junk that he had. No, I mean, you thought that Magnum was going to get his eye poked out, but then he told him the ribs, he got him over, and he and he grabbed his spike and he rammed it, and it looked like he just jammed it right into Tony's forehead. Right. And then and then Tony, to this day, and this actually the truth, he never actually said I quit. He said yes, yes, yes. You know, which was the answer to the question, do you quit? And he kept saying, yes, he goes to the microphone. Um, And then Magnum, I mean, he dropped the thing, and then he looked at it again. I mean, and he looked like he wanted to kill him. And even now you watch it going, I think he's either going to kill him or he's going to marry his ex-wife one day. Now, one of those things actually happened. I'll let you guess which one.
1: Well, he killed him by marrying his (laughs) ex-wife.
0: Which is another kind of irony thing. I mean, I guess they are kind of friends outside. But, I mean, they actually get along. I don't know if you've ever... Seem like interviews where both of them are together, and they actually do get along. And it may be for the sake of Tully's kids, you know, Magnum's stepkids, you know, which is one of his Tessa friendship, um, who's coming her own as a wrestler, and she's also created some controversy that we're going to stay away from. But this match, as far as the brutality and the fact that it's still listed, um, if you would to just say, just give me top 10 cage matches. Of all time, this one will probably be on everybody's list at some point because it's that iconic for good reason. All right. So, um, we now we we have a few more minutes left, but before we do our number one, I'm gonna go ahead and take a last commercial break. And we are back. All right, Kyle. Can we get him with the drum roll so we can announce our number one?
1: <laughs> the
0: number one 10 gimmick matches that we are armchair booking is Red Hart, Steve Austin. The submission match, or also known as an I Quit Match, at WrestleMania 13. And this has been called some people will say it's the greatest WrestleMania media match ever. Some will say that um, Steve Austin has said it's one of his favorite matches that he's in. Brett said the same thing. Um, I remember the build-up to this match. Um, and Austin, you know, the whole Austin 316 gimmick had already taken off. And Austin, he was just a thorn in Brett's side. They had the issue at the Royal Rumble where Brett threw Austin out, but the referees didn't see it. So Austin came back in, threw Brett out, and ended up winning. And, you know, how this match ended, even with Brett beating Austin technically, it still made both guys look great. Neither guy was really buried uh, with the way it ended, And they did one of the rarest things you will ever see in wrestling. The double turn. The
1: the double turn. So, if you remember the intro into this match, this was number two in this one-on-one series. Now, they booked Steve Austin in a submission match. And what was his submission hold? He tried to build Boston Crab because he's even talked about it on his own podcast.
0: He said, "I'm not a submission wrestler. And which what, the funny thing about that is, when he first went to the WWF as the ringmaster, he was using, um, well, they were called the Million Dollar Dream, but it was the Cobra Clutch. So that yeah, would but- be kind of a submission, sort of. I mean, you're knocking the guy out. Yeah, for a whole no. It is, um, but how did this match actually end
1: with Steve Austin passing out? Well, that, so, that you've got, got to factor in for this list that Ken Shamrock is a special referee. Yes. And he plays into that multiple times during the match. Both guys that they were getting physical with the referee. I don't think I'd want to get physical
0: with Ken Shamrock.
1: He'd be Not even 53-year-old trt Ken Shamrock in Impact Wrestling now. But at the, at the time, he had just finished Ultimate Fighting. He was a pretty bad dude. Legitimately. So perfect way to introduce Ken Shamrock to the WWF. And they played off his um, his newness, his naive, naivety because he, he doesn't know that Austin needs to say, I quit or I give up. So technically Austin won because
0: he didn't lose, but he couldn't continue.
1: Yeah, he Shamrock stopped the match. I didn't give up, which no. made – and the way he left the ring was perfect for this match because that gained him however many thousand millions of fans. And then Austin turned around, went king of the ring. Like, for losing a WrestleMania match.
0: Well, King of the Ring,
1: happened, what happened the year
0: before. Well, he did Austin 316, that happened at King of
1: the Ring 96. Well, WrestleMania team Was it 97? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Um. To me, I mean, this
0: match, you know, they, it, even though Vince had a no-blood policy, and they bladed. They got away with it because Brett was that good at blading. Um, it still made their cover because this is one with Austin, with was in the sharpshooter, the blood's on his face, and the blood has run into his mouth and was like on his teeth. And he's just not giving up. And then Brett attacking him after the fact is what turns him heel because good guys don't do that. You know, you don't attack a man when he's down. And you know, he did that, and then Austin, they were cheering him because, you know, he had put on a performance of a lifetime and, and never actually gave up. But that, to me, is why I have it on my mind just because so many things involved with this, where Austin went after this, where Brett went after this, at least, you know, for the next
1: nine months. And that's ten... a true shame. Austin would have been better suited you have beaten Brett at the following WrestleMania fourteen then for the title. Cause he never beat Bret Hart in a one on one match. Oh yeah
0: you're right. I don't think he ever did, did
1: he? I mean we know he beat Owen. But So hey hey Steve as we finish up here is on tap for next week. I believe
0: we have Fall Brawl in 1997. I don't remember how we came to that conclusion, but that's what I have written down is Fall Brawl in 1997.
1: And this is the War Games, correct?
0: Oh, uh, you know what?
1: I'm going to have to check. But, Pan, let us know about your list. We're trying to get more fan interaction here and and see how absolutely
0: this was the war games match you're right okay that's why we chose it. okay um yes our listenership is growing but we would still like the interaction that would actually that would mean the world to us and we would love to hear from any and all of you so Kyle until next week, next Monday, 8:30. The time change. No longer Tuesday. Okay. Now on Monday.
1: All right, So man. All
0: right, my friend. I will talk to you this week, and and we'll see you next Monday,
1: brother. See you, brother.